Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. I've been carrying this word in my heart for two to three weeks. And when I got here this morning, Dan said to me, he said, how was your sleep last night? Which is a a little in-joke that we have because for many years, uh, I would struggle to sleep pretty well every Saturday night carrying this burden and this weight in my spirit about uh, we need the people of God to encounter the presence of God. If we don't meet with Him, what have we done? I mean, we like each other, mostly. (laughs) Have a look around to the people just real close to you and just make a decision whether you like them or not. But there has to be so much more than gathering. We need to have regular encounters with the presence of God. You see, word and spirit is where the intersection of transformation happens. You can have word but have no spirit, and what you end up with is a letter of law that kills. You can have spirit without word, and what you get is you get a flood that should have been a river. But when we have word and spirit, there's the intersection of something that can change our lives. And so I've been carrying this word in my heart because I do believe today that there will be opportunity for people's lives to be shifted. Just because it's one week-ish before Christmas does not mean that we should back off uh, in our pursuit of God. (laughs) In fact, the Christian church should be on the incline towards Christmas. And uh, we should be talking about it. We should be enjoying, like Irene said, when when worship carols are played at the shopping centres, we should be celebrating. Uh, I'm not going to get distracted by this, but I'm going to mention it. We should be celebrating the return of nativity scenes and props to shopping centres. We should be getting excited about the fact that uh, these foreign phrases like happy holidays are dying. We can have a holiday, but this is not happy holidays. This is Merry Christmas. (laughs) And so we should be on the incline as we come in towards December. And I believe that God's presence, when we lean into Him, when we seek Him, when we pursue Him in every part of our life, He will meet us. And so I'd love it if you could turn in your Bible, if you've got it, to Luke chapter 2. It's on the screen. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. I'm fascinated that Jesus is having the same trouble today, still millennia later, on the search for people who will make some room for him. 
We need to understand what's going on in this city at this time. Of course, we know the Christmas story, but we often ignore the backdrop. That they were coming to a city that was a thriving metropolis. People had come in from country suburbs all over the land to be registered. They were required to be there. You couldn't get a booking at a restaurant. (laughs) It was hard to get an Uber. People couldn't move. It was sardines in a can in the city because hundreds of thousands of people had showed up for registration. And so hotel bookings were difficult. Whatif.com and booking.com and Expedia.com and lastminute.com, they didn't exist yet. And so as this incredible, thriving metropolis of registering and taking census was taking place, somewhere underneath the surface of that story, God in heaven is orchestrating his sovereign master plan for humanity. And it's fascinating to me that in today's world where we get so busy, put your hand up if you feel like life is just always busy. About eight of you, that's great. The rest of you are having a really chilled time. When life is busy, when we feel flat out, when we feel like we've got to run to this and run to that and the next thing and the diary's packed and we can't get this arranged and we're thinking the same thing this year that we thought last year should have started my Christmas shopping earlier. And you're making promises to yourself next year. Who's already done that? Who's already made their Christmas shopping resolution next year? I'll be smart. You watch me. I'll get started. Let's have a confession moment. Where are those people who start packing away gifts and presents in June, July? Put your hand up. There's a few of you around. We don't know what to do with you people. You're a whole other breed. But a little bit of you and a little bit of us, we might all start shopping somewhere in November. And so there's all this busyness going on. And in our busyness, we can lose sight of the fact that under the surface, God the Father is trying to orchestrate something that will change the course of your destiny. And in this busy, busy city, Joseph and Mary cannot find anywhere for this child to be born. Isn't it interesting that they were looking for a motel and not a hospital? (laughs) They were looking for just a comfortable room, somewhere a little bit peaceful, somewhere that might have had some clean water. They end up in a manger, a stable with the animals. Jesus is having the same trouble in our lives today as he was having when he was born a baby little man in Bethlehem, trying to find room in our lives. And I wonder today if God is speaking to our hearts, mine included, that something might change. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says these words, it's Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. (laughs) How many of you have ever heard that knocking? Who knows what I mean? In prayer, in worship, in our daily routine, when we get caught off guard, when it's a little bit left field, when you think you're going through your routine and that little knock at the door of your heart, it is Jesus saying, have you got a spare moment or two for me? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone, my prayer today is that all of us would be an anyone. I want to be an anyone. I want to be someone who hears his voice. I'm the same as you. I get distracted by my own routine, my own busyness. And yet I know, lurking in a good way, in the background, is Jesus saying, Andrew, stop, give me some time, give me some time, give me some time. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, we need to do more than hear his voice. We need to open the door. It's that power of choice to turn the handle of our decision and open up the door to our world and say, Jesus, you are invited fully in. He says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. A few weeks ago, I prayed and I asked God what he wanted me to say today. And he gave me this phrase. 
Um, I've been fortunate, I've been blessed by the Holy Spirit in the, the years that I've been preaching God's Word, which is nearly 26 years now. Um, I've been fortunate that the Holy Spirit has been a far better helper of my preaching than I have been a preacher. And many, many times he has given me a download of entire sermons in the space of 20 or 30 seconds. And I prayed and I asked God, I said, what should I say on the 17th of December? And he spoke clearly to my heart and he gave me this four-word phrase. And I believe God wants me to say this to you on his behalf today. Make room for Messiah. Make room for Messiah. Make room for Messiah. When we say Messiah, who and what are we talking about? We're talking about a few things. We're talking about a promise that is to come. You see, Jewish Hebrew people, they knew in their teachings, in their stories from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and many, many generations before, they knew that a promised one was due to come. He didn't come the way that they expected. Isn't that interesting that we often pray prayers like that too, don't we? And we pre-imagine and we pre-meditate how the scenario should play out. He turned up in a way that was not that spectacular, to be fair. And he ruled and he governed in a way that was not their expectation, because as we know, they were looking for the overthrow of the Roman Empire. They were looking for military and civil release. Jesus came to release the captivity of the heart. But he was the promised one. They had known for centuries that at some point in time, God the Father would send a Messiah to them and to the whole world. And here he was, born in the lowliest of circumstances. The Messiah is a person. He's not just a promise, he is a person. And it's so important in today's world, in our conversations, in our social media posting, in our teachings, in our family storytelling, we have to keep on talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Not just God, not just a Savior, lest we drift and become like those who've walked away from God and end up touting the false notion that all roads lead to God. Knowing in our heart already that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. You think Jesus was unpopular in his day? <laughs> Imagine how unpopular Jesus would be in today's world where everybody is nervous when anybody makes a forthright statement about anything. <laughs> As if we were born and predestined by God to live in the colorless vanilla of zero opinion. I refuse to live there. <laughs> Have you noticed? I'm urging you to refuse to live there. Have an opinion. <laughs> Some of you go, oh man, I wish I stayed home this morning. <laughs> this is too much. Here he goes again. Have a viewpoint. How will your faith muscle grip any handles of direction and choice making unless you have a viewpoint? My viewpoint is, is that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That he is the same yesterday, today and forever. You cannot dethrone him. You cannot dislodge him. You cannot legislate and sanction him away. He's here to stay. You see that little rhyme I did? That was accidental, but I liked it anyway. He's here to stay. And we have to have the same echo, the same resonance in our hearts that the Word of God speaks to us, that He is the way. Somebody say, the way. He's not a way. He is the way. Some people would hear this kind of preach, they go, oh, how offensive. Well, that's not on me. That's on you. <laughs> that, that, that waiter's not going home with me to lunch. 
That might be going home in your car. It's not coming home in my car. He is the way, the truth, because I said so. No, because the word of God, the eternal living word of God has said so. And he has come and proven himself to be that one. The way, the truth, the life. The Messiah is a promise. He is a person. He is also a presence. When the presence of God comes into our world and into our space, it shifts and transforms things. The Holy Spirit said to me, encourage the church, make room for Messiah. I'm not talking here this morning just about the shift from darkness to light. Of course it means that. I'm not talking just about being eternally lost and then being eternally saved. Of course salvation is super important. But I'm talking a message here this morning that is also to the saved. This message is to the already born again, that we would make room for Messiah. Here's why. And this statement right here, this is the epicenter of the whole message. By the way, those of you who need to portion out your concentration, I'm halfway already. Some of you are in shock because you go, "Ah, I've heard you preach before. There's no way you're at the halfway mark in nine minutes. There is no possible way. Well, you have little faith. They're going to be proved wrong. This right here, what I'm about to say, this is the epicenter, the nucleus, the fulcrum, if you like, of everything that I want to share today. When Jesus enters the room, things change. When Jesus enters the room, things change. But we need to find out in our own hearts, is there room? Have we made a room? Have we invited? Have we beseeched him? (laughs) What an old word that is. Have we got an appeal in our hearts? Have we got an appetite? Is there a desire in the middle of our busyness, in the middle of the census being taken in the city? Have we got a space where we say, Jesus, if you're coming to my town, I've got a room for you. I need you. I need your promise. I need your presence in my life. When Jesus enters the room, things change. In Luke chapter 8, we read the story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was a significant man in the community. And he encounters the power of Jesus because Jesus enters the room of his life and changes things forever. If you know the story, Jesus had been having a mega ministry day in Luke chapter 8. He was doing it all. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was getting demons out of people. He was sailing. I mean, Jesus does everything. You think some people you know are multi-talented. Try on Jesus for a few moments. He preaches a message that's like everyone's greatest. Everyone's going like, mind melt. I didn't have time to write enough notes. Then he gets in a boat and, and hoists the spinnaker. I don't know how to talk about sailing. He goes across the sea, hits a demon-possessed man on the other side, gets the demons out of him. A whole stack of pigs go running down the hill and into the river. Then he goes back and does some more sailing. He's here, there, and everywhere doing miracles, teaching. When he gets back across the Sea of Galilee, the Bible says that a throng, somebody say throng, A throng of people are waiting for him. Here's why. He'd already been preaching, teaching on one side of the sea. He sailed off and the crowd stood at the banks. Apparently, everybody dropped their routine in the middle of the day because Jesus was on fire that day. (laughs) And word went around with no Twitter, sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter, without any Twitter, without any Facebook Lives, Without any ability to mass text message, the word got out, Jesus is on fire today. He was last sighted getting in a boat down near the sea. 
He sails over, gets the guy cleared up of his demons, sails back. By the time he gets there, there's tens of thousands of people standing at the wave edge of the water ready to grab a hold of him when he gets off the boat. That's the scene. Somehow, Jairus manages to get to him before most other people. He says, healer, rabbi, saviour, I need you come to my house. My daughter is within hours of dying. You know, there's something about a desperate prayer that gets the attention of Jesus Christ. And it's not about the relative desperation of the moment. It's about the perceived desperation in your heart that can get his attention. It's time some of you got a little bit more pushy with your prayers. It's time some of you stop worrying so much about, yeah, but I don't want to be a nuisance to God. He is complimented when you come back and you ask and you ask and you ask again. When you come back and you say, Lord, I know I've spoken to you about this before, but I'm here to remind you another time. Because you promised me this, and I'm seeing that, and I need you to come and visit my circumstances. Jairus gets him to the side. The Bible tells the fact that Jesus has been detoured from wherever he was going to go. And then en route to Jairus' house, he just casually heals a woman who's been bleeding badly for 12 years. As he's just wafting through the crowd. It becomes one of the most famous stories in all of history. This is what Jesus does when he enters the space. He gets to the ruler's house and he gets a little quick synopsis. What's going on? What's happened? He takes a summary and then he goes, he, 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 oh, I finally understood it. Jesus does what my year 10 maths teacher used to do to me on double maths on Wednesday morning nearly every week as he used to point at about seven of us and go, Mr. Gray, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. at about six, he go, get out. Before the lesson started, it was a gift from God because I got so good at touch footy that year, I've got to tell you. I was flicked past and I was stepping off the left and right. My touch footy went to a new level because Mr. Billy Wilton decided that there were six or seven of us who were never going to learn maths anyway, so get out. Jesus goes to Jairus' house and he goes, Captain Negative, Sister Wingy Pants, too loud morning, get out. <laughs> and then he goes, Peter, James, John, mum and dad. Let's go get this done. Jesus. He goes into the room. The girl is dead. She's not dying. She's dead. It's obvious. He's already been told by 50 people as he came through the front yard of the house. What's the point? Go away. You should have been here earlier. Whinge, whinge, complain, complain. Jesus says to them all, shh, shh. In my head, he puts his finger on their lips. goes, hush. <laughs> Shh. Why? He didn't need their commentary on the circumstances. I'm guilty of this as much as you are, spending too much time commentating instead of prophesying. Because Jesus is in prophecy mode. He's strutting through that front yard thinking about what he's about to do, what he's capable of doing, and everyone's trying to chirp at him. Jesus, he's already dead. He's already dead. Shut it! Peter, James, John, let's go. He goes in and he says to the little girl, little girl, get up. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that her soul returns to her body. Yeah. That this little girl who has died and decay has already begun as it does the minute a life ends. Her eternal soul has left her body. Jesus calls her spirit 
from other realms and says, your life is not done. Get back to this body. She sits up and they have lunch together. <laughs> I love how Jesus is so big and so normal at the same time. He gets resurrected from the grave and goes and makes bacon and eggs and some fish with the brothers down at the beach. You would think he had other things to do. Nope. Some fish, some eggs. Let's cook brekkie. Who thinks Jesus is your kind of saviour when the first thing he thinks after resurrection is, geez, I could go some fish and some eggs and some bacon. <laughs> he goes there. When Jesus enters the room, things change. What about in 1 Kings 17? He goes to a town called Zarephath where there's a lady who is a, a God-fearing woman. She's already experienced the miracles of God in her life. And yet at this time, a certain time, her son dies of some kind of disease that kills him quickly. And Elijah the prophet comes back and thank God for the woman's faith having predated the circumstance. She had premeditated with her choice that there could be moments in her future where she needed the presence of God. She made preparation for her difficult day by praying in advance and building an extension on the single story house, putting an upper room at the top of the house so that when the prophet would travel back and forth in case he needed to have a sleep somewhere and needed to stay, he would stay in her house. Why? Because she had a value on the presence of God and was willing to spend, was willing to invest, was willing to take time, was willing to be ridiculed, was willing to go the extra mile to say, if there's a half a chance of getting the presence of God in my home, I'm getting the presence of God in my home. The boy is dead. He's upstairs in the bedroom upstairs. She calls for the prophet. The prophet says, let's go pray. And the Bible says, I mean, weird times, people. The Bible says he climbs up on the bed with the dead boy and breathes on him and calls the power of God from heaven into that room. And again, the scripture says, the soul of the boy returned to the dead body and he coughed and woke up. When Jesus enters your room, things change. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is trying to do a good thing. The ark of God, the ark of the covenant has been captured again. One of the things I want to know when I get to heaven is I want to talk to David and all the other brothers and go, how did you lose it so often? <laughs> it's kind of important, you know? You couldn't have like paid some security guards or something. The ark of God is captured again. And David gets all inspired, says, this is not right. The ark of God should be in the house of God. That sounds like really simple, but trust me, there's a four-week Bible series in that. The ark of God, which is the presence of God, should be in the house of God. A house with no presence is not a house. The ark of God should be in the house of God. And David says, get some soldiers, get some resources, let's go get it. And in their enthusiasm, they forget the pattern. Because <laughs> the pattern said the ark should be carried on rods of acacia wood only on the shoulders of the Levites. Guess what they do? They put it on a billy cart that they found on Gumtree. <laughs> they go, oh, we're about six by four, that should do it. Get a bit of suspension there, you know, some uh, all-terrain tires, whack that sucker on there. What happens when they're trying to bring it back to Jerusalem? The Bible says the ox that is pulling the cart stumbles and the ark almost falls. And a man by the name of Uzzah, someone say Uzzah, he puts his hand out to balance it. Innocent mistake. Put your hand up if you're glad we're not living in the Old Testament. Put your hand up. <laughs> he puts his hand out and the Bible says that he touches the ark and he dies right on the spot. You go, oh, how cruel is God? It, look, we, we should really have a difficult time of trying to put God in our tiny box of our brain, how he does things, how he doesn't. They knew. Most of all, David knew. 
The brother dies and it's David's fault. If we want to point fingers, David knew, don't let just anybody touch it. And so they freak out. They panic. What do we do? We're supposed to get this thing back to Jerusalem, but who can handle this power? If we're going to touch it and people are going to die, that's scary. Let's leave it here. And then the Bible says that there's a man by the name of Obed-Edom, <laughs> which used to be one of my favorite youth sermons. You remember this, Ali? You remember where I'm going with this? We've got history. Some of us in this room, I've been around for about 128 years here. I used to preach to the young people in our church that sometimes people will fall dead on their passage of trying to follow God and you cannot afford to stop your life and stay there forever. Obed-Edom steps over the dead body, says, I'll take the ark to my house if no one wants it. They take it up to Obed-Edom's house and in the next three months, every single thing in his household goes up 5x, 10x, 20x. His business takes off. His crops go nuts in a time when crops shouldn't be growing. All of his animals are getting pregnant. His whole household is blessed because the ark, the presence of God is in the room. When Jesus enters the room, things change. What about one more? John chapter 6. The brothers are doing ministry with Jesus again. They're going here, there, and everywhere, the relentless itinerary. And Jesus is gone for prayer time, or so they think. He's in this really pressured moment where he's done so many miracles and teaching, and the crowd's getting excited, and the crowd starts chanting, make him king, make him king, make him king. Jesus goes, I didn't come here to be put on an earthly throne. So the Bible says, he suddenly vanished. <laughs> Where'd he go? He had gone to have time alone with his father for reflection and prayer and meditation. <clears throat> he goes down the other side of the mountain because he's already instructed the brothers, when we're done here, pack everything up, get in the boat, sail across the other side of the lake. As they're sailing across the lake, the Bible says three to four miles they're into their row. And Jesus appears on the water. <laughs> not in it, on it. <laughs> Somebody say, not in it, <laughs> on it. <laughs> they think it's a ghost. And there may have been a squeaky fart or two. <laughs> you can't say fart in church. My mother's here. She would have told me that years ago that you can't say... I wasn't allowed to say fart at home, let alone in church. I've gone loose, mother. Pray for me. <laughs> they think it's a ghost. They freak out. And then Jesus helps them to realize it's not a ghost, it's him. And so they say, Jesus, please come and get in the boat. The Bible says, and this is a picture for some of you today, halfway through their row, through their circumstance, when Jesus gets in the boat, the boat was instantly on the other shore. When Jesus enters the room, things change. When Jesus enters the room, things change. We need to make room for Messiah. I'm going to read out a few areas of our life, and if this is you, I want you to resonate with it in your heart, because in about five minutes, we're going to pray into this. We need to make room for him in our day, just in our diary, in our time. Do we stop here and there? Now, some of you I know, when I said that, you got a picture of a three-hour prayer meeting before you eat breakfast. Why try to climb Mount Everest when you're struggling with a flight of stairs? If spiritual asthma gets you every time, I felt American then when I said asthma, if spiritual asthma gets a hold of you when you're Nissan, if spiritual asthma gets a hold of you because you try to do two minutes of prayer, don't try and have a three-hour prayer meeting and don't try to judge and assess yourself according to the length of your prayer. Just start. It could be five seconds as you leave the house. It could be praying for your children at school drop-off. Just put him in your day. What about this one? I love how Tara prayed at the start of the service. Make room in your marriage. 
we'll find out how many Christians there are in the room, how many honest people. Put your hand up if you know marriage is hard work. <clears throat> oh, that was better than I expected, actually. And some brothers were brave enough too. Well played. <laughs> marriage is hard work. It takes work. It's hard. And of course, in this church, we're never down on anyone that has a hard time with their marriage. Marriage is difficult. And we should celebrate every time. A husband and a wife. You see what I did there? A husband and a wife stay together for eternity. We need God in our marriage. We need to make room for Jesus in our marriage. We need to make room in our decisions. Before we go this way or that way or the other way, Jesus, is there anything you want to say? Here's a great prayer that you could adopt when you're trying to decide about the job. You're trying to decide about the spending. You're trying to decide about what to do with the situation. Stop for two seconds. Say, Jesus, I think that this choice is the right one. But if I'm getting it wrong, please stop me. Shut the door. That's one of the greatest prayers you can pray as we make room for him in our decisions. Make room for him in your house. I was going to bring the photo this morning, but I didn't want to embarrass my daughter. Um, One of my favorite photos, one of our favorite family photos um, <clears throat> with myself and my children is a photo that was taken just on, well, be close to the day actually, two years ago when we handed over the leadership of the church to Dan and Ali. And I remember standing roughly here, here maybe, and we were being prayed for as a family as we handed over. And I was standing here with my hands out, my eyes closed, seeking God. And just here next to me is my daughter looking up at me like this. And she might not have meant it, but the look on her face was like, Look at my dad in the presence of God. And I thought, I'm grateful to God for that because what she's seeing is she's seeing that even though her dad's not perfect, he wants the presence of God. Make room for him in your house. You want your kids to have Jesus in their house, you better have him in yours. Make room in your money. Make room in your business. Matt, can I have you? Because I promise these people their concentration could be portioned out. (laughs) Make room in your business. I I wanted to stop on this moment in my preparation. If you're a business owner, a sole trader, or self-employed, I want you to stand on your feet. I have discovered in the last couple of years that God has given me a new anointing to unlock other people in business. And so I want you to lift your hands to God if that's you, especially if you're trying to find new contracts and new decisions and new ways and new strategy. This is my prayer for you. Heavenly Father, those of you who are sitting in your seats, why don't you stretch your hands towards them? Um, If you haven't been in business, haven't run a business, it's difficult to know the pressures that are on business people. There is no money tree. If they don't make it, it doesn't exist. And so we need our business owners, our self-employed, to have the power and the wisdom of God on them. Every one of you, upstairs, downstairs, left to right. I'm prophesying over you that a Holy Spirit river of wisdom will flow into your heart that the choices you make, that the people you employ, that the contracts that you sign, that the leases that you contemplate will be led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I'm praying as these people stand that you will be a prototype of a new day in the house of God where many who are called, where all who are called, the young and the old, to start something. Some of you, in fact, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, extend the prayer. Now, as I do this, Those of you on your feet, just keep focusing on Jesus. I want you to hear my prayer, but don't focus on me. Those of you who are sitting, the Holy Spirit just prompted me and told me that there's a handful of you here who are sitting there going, I wish I was on my feet too, but you know, I've been delaying and I haven't made that decision. I've been procrastinating. Here's your chance. I'm going to give you about five seconds only. If you felt like you wanted to be in this group, but you're not, stand up now. Four, three, two, 
one. Jesus, every person standing in this room. Come on, those of you who are standing, lift your hands to Jesus. Focus on him. When Jesus enters the room of your business, things will change. Things will shift for you because of the anointing of God that can flow. Stay on your feet for a moment longer. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Focus on Jesus. I'm prophesying that there is a river flowing to every one of you, that things are going to work out for you. In fact, I'm speaking this word over some of you right now, divine appointments and conversations. That even this week, some of you will get introduced with someone who you've never met, and yet Jesus has been orchestrating behind the scenes, under the busyness of your diary. There's a person, there's a group that you need to meet, and it's going to unlock the next stage, the next chapter. Mark and Carly, I see the anointing of God on you. I don't know what decisions you're contemplating. I don't know what plans you're dreaming about, but I see the Spirit of God resting on both of you and the space that He wants to take you to is beyond your mind's ability to cope with it. And I think that's some of the hesitation that occasionally you get a glimpse of what is to come and then this thing inside you says, no, no, that couldn't be you. And you start listing out other people's names and faces who would be more appropriate to live in a space that big. Well, the Spirit of God speaks to you today and says it's time to agree and believe. Agree with His Word over you. Then the dreams will escalate. Then the prophecies will escalate. Then the river will start to flow in the same direction as your faith as you say, yes, Jesus, I will do what you're calling me to do. We need to make room for Him in our battles. Those of you who are standing, stay standing for a moment. Everybody else, in fact, sitting standing, doesn't matter. If you've got a battle going on in your life, put your hand up. It could be health, it could be money, it could be relationships, it could be circumstances. If you've got a battle going on in your life that is standing over you, then right now in the presence of Jesus, I want you to stand on your feet. If that's you, if you've got a battle that you know is too big for you, it's wearing you out, it's making you tired, it's stealing your energy, it's stealing your joy. If that's you, I've got a word for you today. The Spirit of God is coming right to where you are. There is going to be new space for you. There's going to be new room for you. That God is getting ready to intervene and fight your battle. That when we make room for Him, everything changes. When Jesus enters the room, everything changes. Some of you are thinking before, why are all these chairs up here? I've got to do this. I'm not massively into props when I preach. Could I have one of the fellas come and help me just undo all this? I'm not really into props. Pastor Dan is better at the props than I am. Ken McLean loves props as well. I'm only doing this because I, the Holy Spirit showed me this and instructed me to show you this when I preached today. I know if you're listening on the podcast, this is difficult. If you know someone in our church, speak to them and say, what was the thing that Andrew was demonstrating that day with the props? We can drop that down, please, Pete. That'll be, get a bit more space. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. And it doesn't matter whether it's your marriage, business, your circumstances, your battles. This is what the Lord showed me. That this is where you are. Right in here. And it's crowded. It's jammed. And you've got circumstances. And you've got diary. And you've got kids stressing you out. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> Three of you. <laughs> you've got stuff. What's another word for stuff? Don't say it. You've got stuff everywhere. And it's packed. And yet, 
Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And he's knocked before. I'm not going to look at people in the eye right now because I don't want people to feel embarrassed. But some of you came to the service this morning and I saw you enter the room. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I ordained that they would come to this service today. He's been planning for you for weeks to hear this message because you've left no space for him in your life. And yet, he loves you still just the same. Many of us need to make a room. Somebody say, make a room. In our day, in our business, in our marriage. And I'm not just talking, I'm not talking just spiritual disciplines here. I'm talking about a hunger for a river. God, please flow. We need to make a room. And then he showed me this other picture. Watch me now if you can. Some of you made a room years ago. The problem is not with your room. The problem is you're the one filling it. You're white-knuckling everything. If I could get that to go and that person to do this, if I just get that thing over here and I get this over here, and it's all dead, dry mechanics. And what Jesus is inviting you to do today is for you to get out of the room. Stand over here. Say, Jesus, it's your space. I'll stand here and I'll agree with whatever you say. I'm not disappearing. I'm not letting go of my responsibilities. I'm just remembering that I'm not meant to be the center of the solution. You are. Close your eyes, lift your hands if you can. Can I have my notes back for two seconds? When Jesus enters the room, everything changes. Close your eyes if you can. I want you to start to meditate for a moment on where it is you need him so bad right now. If you would say, I don't need him bad. Well, I've got two responses. If that's the truth, your circumstances must be going just so swimmingly and I'm happy for you. But actually, I think closer to the truth is we've forgotten. We need to break ties with our pride. Just humble up and say, Jesus, I tried. <laughs> oh, it was woeful. We need to break ties with our fear, our guilt, and our shame. Some of you have not invited him recently because you are still calling yourself guilty when he called you free. <laughs> Some of you are still calling yourself fearful when he called you more than a conqueror. Some of you are still calling yourself ashamed when he called you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to break ties with that. We need to break ties with earthly thinking. What do I mean? This cognitive grip on our life that has shut the door on the possibility of the supernatural. Our God is not human. Our God is not natural only. He is supernatural. 
it means above and beyond the natural. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is all things to all people all the time, every day. For some of you, that's your need today to re-engage that gear of the supernatural and dare in your self-talk to say, maybe the Son of the living God could do a sign and a wonder and a miracle in my life. Does He still do miracles to those who believe He does? We need to break ties with self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can do it. I'll be all right. I'll be fine. I've got a few more breaths in my... We were not supposed to live that way. Break ties with self-sufficiency. Say, Jesus, without you, I can do nothing. Even to have the revelation truth of the Holy Spirit that can shift you in a moment where you have been thinking, no, there's lots of things I can't do, but there's a few things I can do. Have the revelation that says, without Him, I can't do a thing. If you would shift that way, I'm telling you, the power and the presence of God will flow into your world like a brand new river, bringing life everywhere that it goes. You see, this river that's flowing to you, this river that's trying to reach you, comes out from underneath the throne of God, out of the temple, all the way to your heart. And whether it's His promise, whether it's His presence, whether it's His person, when Jesus enters the room, things change. Some of you are thinking, uh, how are you going on that time limit thing? Andrew, I'm not worried about the time limit thing at the moment. I'm respectful of the time, but I know right now I'm battling up against a small, tiny hill and I'm going to overcome it. Don't you worry about that. I'm battling up against a little hill in the atmosphere where people know that they're safe in their canoe when Jesus is saying, swing your leg over the edge and start to engage belief and faith. Some of you are sick in your body and I'm daring you with faith to say, you know what? I'm not going to tolerate this sickness. I'm going to lean in to the power of healing. Some of you have been stuck in a place of barrenness. In fact, I'm going to go back a half a step. I need you to lift your hand and identify if this is you. Some of you have been stuck with sickness. And today is your moment to cross over that line and say, I'm going to start to believe. Who is it? Come on, put your hand up. I know some of you are thinking, I haven't got perfect faith to respond to that. You don't need perfect faith. The Bible says faith as small as a mustard seed can shift a mountain. If you're sick in your body this morning and you don't want to be, lift your hand to Jesus. Come on. Hear my words, but put your focus on Him. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, I prophesy healing in everybody in this room today that is sick. Lord, come by your sovereignty and bring a river into this place, we pray. I'm praying that the saints of God in the house of God will grow hungry again. I'm prophesying that those who had their gear disengaged for so long will re-engage again and that His power will shift us into a new place. Some of you are facing a battle in your circumstances that is overwhelming you. Stuff that's out of your control and it won't seem to shift and it's bringing barrenness. That's the word God gave me. What do you mean barrenness? Trees in your life that should be bearing fruit by now that are just 
empty and dwindling. If that's you, put your hand up. I'm going to pray and prophesy over you. Come on. If you have had barrenness stalking you and her... (laughs) If we will engage the Spirit of God, if we will invite the power of the Holy Spirit, we will discover that there is a life force that will flow through our body. Some of you don't have the slightest clue and you don't need to have the slightest clue that I'm prophesying over you today, not because I've got all my questions answered. I'm prophesying over you today with a stack of unanswered questions, but I'm still believing God that He will make the difference. When Jesus enters your room, things will change. Those who are battling, lift your hands to Jesus. Lift your hands to Jesus. I speak the mighty life of God over you. Every person upstairs with their hands raised. Jesus sees your heart today. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.